This is your Drive Time News Blast. 30 minutes jam-packed with news of the day from the perspectives of truth, liberty, and justice. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. Today's top story, believe it or not, is not the whistleblower story. What? That is, that's on the A-list, it's on the front page, but it isn't the top story. The top story is how outraged people, everyone from Lindsey Graham to Stephen Colbert, is outraged that Trump is pulling out the troops in Syria. And what's kind of like, you know, I wasn't understanding. It's like, oh, are we... Weren't the troops in Syria a secret anyway? Didn't they say, like, the guys on the ground, the generals said something like, we don't need congressional approval or presidential approval because we're just moving people around down here. (laughs) And, like, you know, there was all this, like, oh, there aren't really troops on the ground in Syria. And if there ever were, people were, there's all sorts of noise when Obama was sending them in there because he did send them in there. And, um, And people were like, wait a second, you said you weren't going to. We're war-weary from left to right. Everyone was like, no troops in Syria. Now they're – never it came up like, okay, let's have some troops in Syria. And now everyone's like – I think Colbert said something like, he's doing that God thing again. (laughs) Something like that. Wow. Like – Trump is playing God in a bad way by trying to pull back on the use of force in Syria. Well, that's one thing that we they always agree on, both sides. that They always agree on continuing wars, usually. And they also agree on skyrocketing deficits. So it's supposed to be like the right likes warfare and not welfare. This is like the stereotype. And the left likes welfare and not warfare. But they decided on the happy compromise of both always. <laughs> and that, you know, like Ron Paul was like, oh, my gosh, how about neither always? And that that's just like, uh, you're a no. dangerous yeah. lunatic. You're the devil. You're the you're the crazy uncle who think who wants peace and prosperity. Like what? Ugh, you are un-American. You know, yeah. that's how they respond to this guy. I remember when he was booed at I believe it was a Christian university at a debate when he preached the golden rule. Do unto others. Booed. Boo. Yeah. But, you know, he stood strong. Like, I really love his courage. Well, he knows how to unite the left and right together. Well, or polarize them, which is why it's so crazy to me that they're telling us we're more more polarized than ever when everyone agrees on more welfare, more warfare all the time. But I do have a few little wrinkles on the Syria thing, observations that I thought I would share. Share away. If you're down. So there there's maybe 2000 troops there and i don't i didn't i only saw this mentioned once or twice but it seems that trump actually said we're moving them out of the way so turkey can launch an offensive did you oh, hear that i i heard a, the talk of that implication but did he say that outright i i believe i had a quote uh clearing the way for a turkish military operation um I didn't print the article out, but I thought that was a Trump quote. But in any case, yeah. Trump owns that. And so that I believe that we are never, ever, ever, ever stopping our goals to take territory or to convert it or whatever in the Middle East. We're just never doing it. You need a regime change for that. It's like the debt. You're not paying it off. There's... And actually, those are the two pillars that Democrats and Republicans stand behind always. 
So you had to. So when people far and wide have been telling me for like years that we're done in Syria, we're out, blah blah blah, and then like it seems like we are, and I'm I'm just like no, there's no chance. So so that's my my expectation, and that can color how you read things or expect things. But so what I expect is that the Turkish situation will lead to an escalation that will demand that we go back. And there's a couple of wrinkles there. So it's the very rare case where there's a three-sided war. And I've felt, just from my reading and listening stuff, that Turkey, Kurdistan, the future Kurdistan, and the U.S. are kind of in versus Syria. It's kind of a three-way war. So it's supposed to be Turkey and the U.S. go into Syria, take a bunch of property. And Turkey wants that. And we want Syria. We want to change Syria and all that. And then we, I guess, also use Kurds. And we want to establish Kurdistan as kind of an outpost there, the way we have Saudi Arabia and Israel and Jordan. Like, Kurdistan is going to be an outpost of the West there, I think. But Kurdistan, as the Kurds see it, and the territory that they occupy, that they've historically occupied includes parts of Syria and Turkey. So they have these like secessionist ideas that Turkey oppresses them for, calls them rebels and radicals and traitors and terrorists. So I recognize the right to secession. That's why I recognize Crimea as being able to determine their, it is practically unanimous decision on their part and a vote to go with Russia. I respect that. You occupy that territory. It's your land. I think I should be able to secede in my own little quarter acre of land. So, so this, so Turkey doesn't like that. So Turkey has wanted us to be more aggressive in Syria forever, and we're not as aggressive as they would like. And that's why I think we're sideways with Turkey a little bit, even though they're a member of NATO. So now we're getting out of their way, and I have to, I believe, so the Kurds are actually saying, like, the U.S. is betraying us. You were supposed to be there for us. What's going to happen is some of the articles I read said stuff like we will have instability. Turkey will hurt us. This is an offensive. They're doing like a pincer movement around us and they're invading Syrian territory. Turkey is so there. There are going to be problems. I mean, this is Turkey doing something violent on land and we created the situation way back when, when we decided we wanted regime change in Syria. And now the, age-old canard when you leave you leave a vacuum you can so we can never ever leave anywhere ever ever so we're leaving we're creating a big problem we went in we've created a big problem we can never get out i actually found a quote from a couple of years ago where lindsey graham and john mccain said we need twenty thousand troops in syria yeah so we would have twenty thousand troops in syria and we would still never be able to leave like there's, they said, you'll never defeat ISIS. Now we say we defeated ISIS without anything. They just dissipated, which, of course, could be because we stopped feeding it because we were feeding it just to have a reason to be there. there yeah. That's in the record. That's what Kelly did when he was head of Defense Intelligence Agency. There's a 2012 report at the LevantReport.com that talks about that. So I think that this is going to – Turkey wants to do it. I don't think we're manipulating Turkey into doing it. But they know that they're going to do it, and then we're going to get back in there, and and heads are going to roll. So I think that's kind of the underlying thing. 
And I think that's, I think that's all I had on it. Like, I, I just, I don't like it, but I think that's what's going on. Well, it's always <laughs> interesting when the left and right agree. Oh, another place where, and this I think ties to the, the next story that you have. Go with your story and I'll tie it into this. Because talking about I, the basketball story, right? Yes. The Rockets. All right, yeah, the China, the China has suspended business business ties with the NBA's Houston Rockets over their general manager's Hong Kong tweet. Several Chinese businesses are cutting ties with the Rockets after their general manager expressed support for the Hong Kong pro-democracy protest. And it was funny because, as you pointed out when we talked about this before the show, Yao Ming used to play for the Rockets, so they had a— major relationship with a lot of Chinese businesses, as do many NBA players. And when Daryl Morey, uh, Morey, who is the general manager of the Rockets, tweeted his support for, he said, fight for freedom, stand with Hong Kong, was his original tweet. Uh, All these Chinese businesses, they, they didn't get too happy with them. They cut ties with them. And then he immediately came out and apologized to China for his tweets, trying to save and preserve the businesses that were cut. And I thought that that was interesting because the day before I had watched, um, or two days before I had watched South Park, last week's South Park, and the entire episode of South Park was about how the main character wanted to get into the Chinese business market, and so he was willing to forsake anything and bow down to the censors of China. And they included everybody from Marvel to the NBA. They were talking about how... The NBA, Marvel, major businesses, they were all on a plane to China together to go get that Chinese market, and they were willing to do anything the Chinese dictator said. And today, Matt Stone and Trey Parker, who are the creators of South Park, obviously South Park was instantly removed from every. They were instantly censored from China after this episode came out. And so they came out today, and they, they had a quote in response. They said, like the NBA... We welcome the Chinese censors into our homes and into our hearts. They're being sarcastic, clearly. We, too, love money more than freedom and democracy. (laughs) This is from South Park creators. (laughs) They are clever. They're funny. Yeah. I just thought it was really funny that they did this episode. and they Yeah, that is interesting. They nailed the NBA, and then a few days later, this happened to the NBA. Well, there's there's an article. I Now that you mention it, maybe it was older, but I thought it was just from today. The headline was Daryl Morey's tweet on Hong Kong shows how China calls the shots. Yeah. But I'm going to peel the onion here because I think there's more to it. So I'm sitting there thinking, this guy is savvy. I mean, Rockets... The Rockets are China's team. Yeah. They are the, you know, it's like the Cowboys, like the world's team. Like they're just, they're China's team. I know that because my husband's from Houston. So, and I remember Yao, uh, and I remember when he first came out. And I lived in Dallas back then. So I was totally immersed in this. And I knew, I was like, that, there is no way this guy would do that half cocked. Really not. And I just, I had to think about it. So, I saw, I said, and I, and this is what I thought. I said, they are, I tweeted this this morning before I found the other stuff I found. I tweeted, I just, I can't help but feel like this tweet was meant to provoke China into outing themselves as being power happy. That's what I, that's, that's how far I got this morning without any information. And then I saw on the front page of my Wall Street Journal, 
literally the front page above the fold. U.S. blacklists Chinese firms citing repression of Muslims. Then I go on to read that they've been doing this for uh, a short while and that people are interpreting it as being part of the trade war, but it's really just to defend the Uyghurs. Now, the Uyghurs are Muslims in Western China, I guess, Central Asia. I didn't, I meant to look this up because Graham Fuller. So, you know, the boy, we weren't acquainted when the Boston Marathon bombing came down, but... Uncle Sarni, the Sarnayev's uncle, who told them to turn themselves in, was uh, married to Graham Fuller's daughter and lived in his house and ran a U.S. AID operation out of his house. And Graham Fuller was the CIA chief of Dagestan, where the Sarnayevs were from, and that whole area. And I'm doing this from memory, but he had a quote of something like, we can use radical Islam in Central Asia, the way we've used it in the Middle East against China for encroaching on world energy or something like that. Like there's a, I mean, those are enough words that you can find the exact quote. And that is what he was talking about. So then I started becoming kind of aware of the Uyghurs as being the oppressed Muslim minority in those countries. But, but China says that that's their radical Islam, you know, like that's how, that's how we do. <laughs> so there they are and causing trouble. I don't know if they're causing trouble, but China perceives it to be troublemaking and I perceive it to be uh, something that we promote and not because we want to help China be happy and prosperous. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, so I see that we're doing this and that fed right into my theory that the Rockets were doing this to make China look power happy and using economic, you know, weaponizing economics and trade. Meanwhile, we had already started our blacklist campaign and China was like, that is outrageous that you would do that. They said that they're like, this is the foreign minister said, well, how could you do that? That's mind your own business. We're not oppressing these people. So then we're just like, mind whose business. (laughs) So, so then I'm like, why would the NBA do that? And I know it's a very political organization, very political. And I said to myself, hmm, self, I said, what could the NBA want from the government that they would play ball like that, put this guy up to it? And I, I said, they're, they're just, these, these organizations run like countries, like they're like super political. Yeah. And I thought they're, they're, they can only do that because they have a complete monopoly and they just have a monopoly. They're completely somehow insulated from antitrust. And so I thought maybe maybe that stuff's bubbling up. You know, it happens every once in a while. You're talking about the NBA. Yeah, I'm talking about the NBA. I'm like, it happens every once in a while that, like, antitrust issues come up, and they got to deal with them. So I looked it up, and I saw three days ago there was an article, NBA could have big antitrust problems because— really? Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Because, and it is a current, a new thing. Uh, they want to, they want the, the game data rights to be held at the league level so that like media companies or even the, I think it's even the teams themselves cannot bundle and sell data for purposes of online gaming in sports, which is coming and it's about to deluge us. Like, 
uh, online gaming and sports is going to change the face of ESPN. It's going to change everything. And it was due to a Supreme Court decision that came down like last year or whatever. It's already happening in New Jersey. It's going to happen everywhere. So you mean it's going to be widespread, like gambling? Yes. it's ESPN, I don't – I mean, I'm not an expert on it, but just from my cursory knowledge of it, it's – it's going to, it's going to be like, sports are going to be like horse racing. Like if you watch TVG, the horse racing channel, it's all about wagering. You know what yeah. I mean? It's not about um, your favorite player has a Fu Man chin or whatever. You it's, know, I've noticed that when I look up sports stuff now, it's harder to navigate to find actual articles because the betting, the sports betting stuff. Has yes, tables, links, buttons. Yes, yes. And so... That, I believe, is how it's going to be all over the place. And everybody's preparing for it because it's going to be huge, huge money. I bet. And, of course, we all know data is where the money is. Anyway, so if the NBA wants to do this, and this would so – so there's a Sherman, like Article 2 or whatever, Sherman Antitrust Act, where you can't take – this is according to this article I tweeted, maybe a couple of articles – you can't take an existing monopoly and leverage it to monopolize a another industry. So this would be saying, okay, you can you can monopolize. I don't even know how they get away with monopolizing it at all. I didn't dig that far deep, but the NBA gets away with it so far because they're really not doing anything wrong. Maybe because the the game. I always thought it was because the owners. It's like car dealerships. The owners are not. Uh, they're acting independently, but if they're if they're not allowed to use their own data, I mean that I don't even know if they if the NBA is even suggesting they go that far, uh, but they're certainly suggesting that the league control the data and its rules, and that others can't use it. Now, I'm not a big that smacks to me of like copyright law, and I'm not a big fan of that. You, it, it said in that article that you could not go to a game, collect the stats yourself by sitting there, and then use them. They're saying you're not allowed to do that. And to me, that is the essence of copyright. It's like you're not allowed to use your own information gathering to, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just hate that. How do they even police something like that, I wonder? Well, right. That's the thing. That's You're being violent. You have to send someone to violently attack a person for observing and reporting on their own experience. It's like card counting. Like, yeah, kind of like- yeah. I mean, there's plenty of precedence of that, like – model but i just think it's wrong like i'm yeah. saying like they they will i mean that's what it all is that's what this copyright stuff is it's like you can't use tiffany blue or christian love boutier or whatever these shoes like red on your soles like I, it's insane to me that you can't just cook up a color and use it yeah somebody owns a color i think you can't even own your own jeans at a certain point that's a whole nother ball of wax oh, but wow yeah it was in that michael Crichton book he's been dead so long it's a very old book i think it's called next but he was bringing out that point that, like, we don't even – someone can patent a gene that's in your body. I don't know. That's – we'll have to do some homework on that. Maybe if you figure out what we should invest in for gene editing, that'll pop there up. But I am just saying that why would – so I, I am theorizing on a conspiracy. I'm theorizing. I'm speculating. That's not a crime yet, I don't think. Not yet. So I'm just saying this guy did something that seems to be against his interests and would be very stupid, and he's not a stupid guy, and he usually acts in his interests. And why would he do that? Well, maybe his interests lay a little deeper than the surface, right? So if his interests are that this antitrust thing is going to be a problem for the whole league, 
maybe there's a little quid pro quo of like, we'll tweet this tweet for you, U.S. government, and uh, I assume that you're that you see the gaming data rights issue as um, game data rights issue as as we do. A lot of quid pro quo talk going around. A lot. I of know pro- that's that's handy. That reminded me of a story I talked about the Nickelback song thing that yep. Trump retweeted. I talked about that yesterday. What was it? It was the Biden being with Burisma and Hunter. It was Biden saying that I have no never talked to my son about his business relations in Ukraine. Even when golfing with his bosses yeah. at that firm. And then okay. it showed a picture of him golfing and Trump tweeted <laughs> it out. Somebody had made a video with Nickelback song showing yeah. me this picture. And I had speculated this uh, was going to be the case afterwards. I thought to myself, as a lot of people did, I'm sure, this is going to do nothing but help Nickelback, who hasn't been relevant in at least a decade. And I look, I saw an article today that says yes, yes, Nickelback totally. downloads are up. <laughs> they see a 569% surge in song downloads after Trump's photograph tweet. And how do you think that? There, there has to be a quid pro quo. They're well, going to do something. They're going to like Trump or they're going to – Hate Trump and be jerks about it. They're going to perform at the inauguration. Oh my gosh, that would be fantastic! I love. What did they have to lose? Well, not a lot. That's for sure. (laughs) So, speaking of the whistleblower thing, I I wanted to uh, just I forgot to mention that. And will you tell me your thing? You kind of came up with something that I think speaks to this. Go. Well, they're going to be using extreme – they're considering using extreme measures to protect – quote, extreme measures to protect the identity and safety of the whistleblowers who filed the complaint against Trump. And this will be so that they can talk to the committee that's investigating the case. Now, some of the extreme measures which they are considering using are an off-site location, limiting the, the Hill staff members who can uh, talk to them, and even disguising – the individual's name and voice while they testify, which is completely absurd <laughs> to me. Are they going to sit in the shadows and have a uh, voice changer while they're that talking? was like the fake hijack victim Danny from the Boston Marathon bombing case. That John Miller, the FBI PR guy, was a media guy at the time. And the original reports was, had a physical description of Danny, and he was not Asian in the beginning. But then he became Asian and had this like... <laughs> behind john miller who's talking to the shadow oh my gosh so funny i'm just imagining so they're going to be talking literally to a shadow and it's not even going to be on tv they're just going to be talking to a shadow or maybe they'll televise it so here's the thing so i okay i i i I, they could easily like find somebody to be the, the whistleblower they could definitely do that uh but they don't even have to and this can't – we might be, like, just one step ahead of an intentional dialectic anyway. So, like, I'm conspiracy theorizing what is the conspiracy theory they're going to feed us, that there is no whistleblower, <laughs> that it's all BS. But there, I believe that the – because the lawyers of the whistleblower, the, the Bakaj and Zaid, but really Bakaj, he, he has such a crazy backstory. I refer people to yesterday's Drive Time News Blast for that. But – uh, and what is yesterday, October 7th. So I expect those guys to be the guys in the limelight for the whistleblowing. And the Bakaj guy has a very, very, like a 10-year-plus history, and this guy's young, of 
focusing on reprisal. So like this Sondland, the incredibly unqualified, weirdly placed ambassador, U.S. ambassador to the EU, where he was just a hotelier, like a, a owner of hotel chains that specialize in making old buildings into hotels, like the U.S. post office that Donald Trump just did. I actually could not find too much on them having a history together, the Sondland guy, but he seems, you know, like a weirdly placed person. But Trump said, I think Trump forbid him from testifying before Congress, which you can't do, and he's probably going to do it anyway, and then he'll probably get fired, and then you'll have the reprisal issue, that a reprisal issue that I expect to take center stage here, or at least take one of the... One of the rings off the side, maybe not the center ring, but one of the rings will be occupied by the reprisal story. Yeah, I believe that he is testifying today, and reprisal is a major factor in this story. And, and to me, it all looks sounds like they're trying to fit these EU directives that came down yesterday. Like they're trying to delegitimize any potential Trump victory in the minds of the public while also – setting a standard of we are adhering to these whistleblower world rules. Well, I those rules are part of the bigger picture, in my opinion. Maybe they uh, articulate it. Maybe it has to be outside this country because it would be a little hard to go by here. Maybe their rules are looser. But I've been highlighting their attack on whistleblowers, the government's attack, since Operation Insider Threat, under Obama with John Brennan, where they they actually did they arrest reporters? Well, they certainly were reading their emails and stuff over whistleblowing stuff. I mean, they've been cracking down on whistleblowers for a long time, and it's a very bad thing. So when you tell us the EU rules that sound like they're actually quite generous to whistleblowers and people should be happy about that, you brought up the key issue yesterday, which is the whistleblower uh, that that they are not uh, penalized for for knowingly giving false information, and what that does that single provision, even if all the other protections are in place, that single provision discredits all whistleblowing. Yeah. So it, they're going to do it one way or another. They're tightening up the intelligence agencies, and they are cracking down on whistleblowers. Uh, but they'll likely do it in the guise of responding, like the way Edward Snowden told us, oh, they're co collecting metadata and it's illegal. And so they responded by making it legal. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just it's not it, it, that's why when like the Obamacare mandate was just quietly eliminated, you know, I just I don't. It wasn't a big deal in the news. Yeah. It wasn't a big deal, and and there is a case in the Supreme Court on the docket this year that may eliminate the Affordable Care Act altogether. But the damage, of course, will have been done, and people are just going to be like, "Oh well, socialized medicine." I guess the government is going to have to have an insurance company now, which they did not allow first round on Obamacare, but they'll do it. You know, so the de I hate the expression, but the devil is in the details, like to the point where it's opposite. It's that opposite law of democracy or contrary law of democracy. You're getting the opposite of what you're voting for. Yeah. In this case, it, along with the it – give, it gives the whistleblowers from the intelligence agencies free reign to make up anything that they want and have ultimate protection. These EU directives do because they can do it. They, they emphasize you must accept right. anonymous sources like they're talking about right. here. Right, right. So, and, yes – 
Yes. And hearsay. Yeah. So the top level stuff is that it is a license for propaganda because as we see leaks, emails, accidental releases, statements against interest, hidden audio, all that stuff is our only legitimate source now because absolutely nobody believes the media or the official narratives. So that's why they have to have these data dumps, the Panama Papers, whatever, to get legitimate stuff out there. And this will definitely primarily be used as a tool for that. But anybody comes along with some dirt they don't want out there, they're going to say, well, you're allowed to lie, and this guy's lying. Yeah, yeah. I have a few quick hits if you want them. Let's go. All right. Uh, Okay. Big headline of the Wall Street Journal, age and issue in 2020 election. And I just started cracking up. I know. You just now (laughs) noticed? But it wasn't because Mueller and Biden put on such a ridiculous, obvious Alzheimer's show. It's because, and this slipped past both of us. Bernie Sanders? Yep. Had a heart attack that nobody really covered in the news? And I was just like, yeah, figures. You know, I just kept walking. Who yeah. knew? Just just when I thought Bernie's heart attack was spontaneous, I find out <laughs> it was on cue. Right. That's the age dialect. Finally, one of them has a heart attack, and now age is a factor. Right, but they had to blame it on the Bernie heart attack because they couldn't blame it on the ridiculous fake scenes that Mueller and Biden have been peddling. Yeah. Because they're just ridiculous. I do so hope I, Bernie is yeah. okay. I believe he had stents put in, but I feel like that's something they kind of get a, they can get ahead of. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't guess that guy's on the verge of a heart attack? I mean, He's, I don't right. like. I figured he had a few already, and they just didn't tell us about it. When you look at how intense he is, really, and you his do face think is about so that. red all the yeah. time. It's like, dude, just. <sighs> it's just so strange. I was thinking about this. Like, if that, that were to happen to. To Trump, the story, the reporting in the news on that would just be so different than the way it's being handled. Yeah, they would Bernie. 25th Amendment him right up. Yeah. Straight up. And I wonder if the Syria thing is going to be a way for for re- Republicans to get behind the impeachment thing because they're, they're going to argue that Pence will double idea. down in Syria. Like then it'll like because because you can just dismiss the whole thing as like, well, the Senate is controlled by the Republicans. But if they get defectors. That's a good way to get defectors. Yeah. I got two more things that are my personal pet peeves, so I'm just going to give you a couple of updates, and then we can wrap it up. There there are a couple of headlines that actually overstate what the prosecutor said, uh, but the headlines are uh, Lori Loughlin, U.S. attorney has an ominous warning for Lori Loughlin about prison time. And it was just, you're going to get treated poorly if you don't cooperate and cooperate fast. But well, I, Is that a threat? I, it, well, it's clearly, I mean, they actually did retaliate. They, her first problem was one and a half years, and now it's up to 40 potential years because they slapped more charges on her. So they punished her for exercising constitutional rights, and I would like to eliminate plea bargains altogether, which is a really radical position. But until somebody convinces me otherwise— I just, it's the only legitimate function of government. And if you're going to make me live in a government that I don't consent to, at least give me the protection that the guy who cut the deal argued for. You know what I mean? If there's no, that's a quid pro quo you got to have. They are going after her. I know. And I'm, my biggest worry for her is that that good lawyer she got is going to sell her out because he was the Enron lawyer on the government side. 
Really? Yes. So I was like, he's a heavy hitter. That's great that she got him. But they put a lot of pressure on her to get rid of him. And then ever after the initial reports, it's one of his underlings who's cited as her actual lawyer. So maybe they gave her somebody who is does not have the real clout to get this done. I'm really worried for her. Uh, and the last thing is there was a new uh, law that allows, I believe it's allows tip sharing. Uh, so I guess restaurants can require that the waitresses and waiters share their tips with untipped employees, but there's a couple of problems with that. The untipped employees get minimum wage, like 10 bucks an hour, seven bucks an hour, whatever. The waitresses get two bucks an hour. I know, uh, I've been there and a lot of tips, a lot of tips, 15, 20 bucks an hour when I was working and that was a long time ago. So I've done some research on this. I've written a couple of articles on it, and I even uh, stumbled upon a court case where the waiters are are suing the restaurateurs for conspiracy to, they want to swap out, they want to start paying, generally speaking, they want to start paying the waitresses $15 an hour and, key, and putting 15, 18, 20% service charge on the menu, on the, on the bill. So it looks like you're paying the waitress 15%, but you're not. That the owner is giving all that money around to the people working in the kitchen and everything like that. And that keeps him from having to give them raises. And he's giving the waitresses $15 an hour, which is much less than 15, the 15% they'd be making. Yeah. I mean, 20, 30 years ago, I was making $17 an hour after the paycheck. Yeah. I was walking home in my pocket and that was not at a fancy restaurant. I can assure you. So, I've done the math on it every which way. It's a scam. They were being sued for scamming. The the DC, Washington D.C. made a law to uh, have this like raised minimum wage, and and the impact on tipping was obvious. So the waiters and waitresses uh, protested the law that was going to give them minimum wage. It's very very bad, and it's happening. And it's just the waiters and waitresses make a decent living, like. They make they they make a slightly more than they would absolutely have to make to still go to work every day, and that means there's surplus wages in there. And these guys are I don't even care if they use their power as business owners to do it, but when they're using government power, yeah. Now I think this law was just they can allow tip sharing, and Obama had something that did not allow to. I don't really want the government involved at all. But I don't want I, – I resent that the media is portraying it wrong and that the lawmakers, when push comes to shove, they will make laws that if they make a minimum wage law for waiters and waitresses, it will really play into the restaurateur's hands. Well, we will look forward to that. <laughs> and it's Share the Show Tuesday. Share the Show Tuesday. Share the Show Tuesday. Please share this show on all your social media also pick a person who you think has been too jaded by the mainstream media bs and maybe wants to re-enter the news world this is their way and if you have a show or you want to talk to your friends and you heard what you have to say uh here first give us a hat tip your listeners and friends will respect you for it Yes, they will, and you can find your Drive Time News Blast every weekday afternoon at 4 p.m. at thepropreport.com or your favorite podcasting platform with the Propaganda Report podcast feed. We will talk to you all tomorrow.